Are you a mom launching kids into adulthood? If so, you need to know about my Empty Nest Mom Retreat. It is the gathering for moms who have at least one child over the age of 18 or who have launched them all and have a full empty nest. September 27th through the 29th are the dates, and Cedar Lake Retreat Center in Cedar Lake, Indiana is the place. You can fly into Chicago airports and drive to Cedar Lake in a little over an hour. Come join me. Best value registration is available through May 27th, and space is limited to just 100 moms, so don't delay. Check out jillsavage.org slash retreat to register today. Because God has created our children at different stages to appropriately be able to have the strength and the knowledge and the dexterity to do certain things, then we really need to let our children to be able to do those to succeed or fail. Because it's in failing that those muscles are developed. Welcome to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about the messy, less than perfect, but real stuff of life. My name's Jill Savage, and I'll be your host. I'm so glad you're here. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the No More Perfect Podcast. Now, here is the core question of today's podcast conversation. Your kids are spreading their wings. Are you ready? You know, my book, Empty Nestful Life, delves into letting go, creating a new kind of relationship with your adult kids, creating the full life that you want to experience in what I call the encore season of life. But what about the messy middle of letting go? What about the launching years? For instance, like, What about how you parent tweens at home and young adults away from home all at the same time? And what's a good balance between boundaries and freedom? And how can you influence and lead and pray for your kids who are on their way to independence, but they're not quite there yet? My friend Brenda Yoder calls this the fledging season of life. The word fledge means to get ready for flight or independence. And she wrote a book by that title that helps parents launch their kids without losing their mind. That is a book we all need. So Brenda is a counselor. She's an educator, a mother, and a grandmother. And she's also partnering with me as a speaker at my upcoming Empty Nestful Life Retreat. Today, She's my conversation partner as we delve into this topic of launching our kids. Welcome to the No More Perfect Podcast, Brenda. Thank you, Jill. I'm so glad to be here. Oh, so fun to have you. You know, you and I do a lot of talking behind the scenes. I'm glad to have the opportunity to talk to you in conversations like this. So, Brenda, you and I live in um, really kind of similar settings. Uh, We're both in a rural setting, although you live in the middle of Amish country. I do not. But tell tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself. Sure. So um, I married a dairy farmer who's also a teacher, and we have this crazy life of um, both being educators and managing our family dairy farm for about 20 years. We've been married for 32, and we do live in the middle of Amish country. So we live in northern Indiana, and this is where we 
um, have both grown up and we've raised our kids here. And um, I was a teacher for several years and then um, became a licensed mental health counselor. And I'm also a school counselor, which I'm currently doing in an elementary school. And we have four children, um, one still in college and uh, one who just started their third decade. So, um, and, and Jill, like you, we had, we have four kids that are stair-stepped. So while those first ones were leaving, we were still in this very busy season of having kids still in elementary school and kids in junior high and high school. And I found that, um, I was really struggling with the tension of raising kids at all those different levels, but also, really grieving the upcoming season of an empty nest, even before my kids were out the door. Mm. And I think that's pretty common. You know, I see, I see a lot of moms that are dreading it and they're, they're already grieving while they're still, their kids are still at home or, you know, maybe finishing up high school or, or in college. And I think in general, change is just hard for us, for most of us. Would you agree? Oh, it definitely is. I, oh, it is. And I, I think um, when your kids are all in the house, um, things change, but there's the, just the presence of them being in their home and taking care of them creates a constant fluidity that is very familiar. Every day you still get up, you still make meals, you still... Um, go to bed at night, you still have kids in your home. Um, but as that house transitions, um, there is constant change. And I think that's what I really struggled with was, um, you know, your body's changing as a midlife woman, your hormones are changing, your marriage is changing, and yet your family is also changing. And that revolving door of uh, dealing with the younger kids, but then also not parenting your adult kids or your young adult kids in the same way, there's, there's nothing that's constant except that everything is changing. Yes, that is so true. And, you know, and yet it's really the dynamic of motherhood because, mm-hmm. you know, motherhood is always about navigating changes. You know, I can remember even when my kids were little, you know, I would just get their nap schedule figured out mm-hmm. and then and then they would want to drop a nap, you know, right. or, or, uh, you know, you would just get uh, a routine figured out and then they would move to a different grade that had different expectations. So really, we've been navigating change all along in this journey of motherhood. But this change seems to be bigger for most of us, especially mm-hmm. moms. And I think that comes down to the fact that we've often found so much identity in mm-hmm. what we've done and, and we've poured ourselves into it. What else? Well, why else do you think that we struggle with it, this change? Why is it so big for us? I think um, because there's a lot of vulnerability and insecurity wrapped inside of it. And, you know, even outside of our role of being mom, that's, that's one thing that I found was, I think when we become a mom there, everything was forward looking. Right. And so we, Mm. we kind of really pour our, our whole heart into planning for the next stage and, and, um, having some sense of assurance that we know where we're going. We know our kids are going, we know where our family is going. And I, I know for myself that I found myself in between my, um, 
after my, my older two had left for college and my third one was ready to leave for college, I was in my mid forties and, um, all of a sudden everything felt really vulnerable. I, I felt like, um, you know, you hit kind of that midlife crisis. I don't know if it's a crisis, but it kind of is because there's so many things happening. Mm -hmm. You you don't, you don't know what midlife looks like. You don't know what your family is going to look like. You don't know, you don't feel in charge of your body anymore. There's just so many moving pieces that you don't seem to have control over. And then, you know, kind of the security of the system of friends or raising teens themselves. I don't know about you. I'm sure this was true for you, Jill, but raising teenagers over a 10 year span, my kids are 10 years, about 10 years apart from top to bottom. Uh, the whole culture was different by the time my younger ones came to the teen world than with their older ones. And I was tired and I didn't want to have to keep up with the latest social media apps and all of those other things that really weren't even an issue when my older kids were teens. Right. Yes. I think you're exactly right. Isn't it amazing that you can talk about a 10 year span and that things are completely different? Yeah. Yeah. That was us. I mean, ours was a 13 year span, Mm -hmm. but um, yeah, I mean, the world that we raised our older kids in was very different than the world that we raised our younger kids in. Right. And, you know, I think when kids are um, younger, there's a sense of the generation that they're being raised in really doesn't affect your parenting style as much when they're younger. Right. Things are right or wrong. Um, Kids, listen, right. You set down the boundaries. um, They're they're more palatable to you as a parent. But by the time they get to be teens, when you're navigating parenting those teens and then you've got you're parenting those tweens. And yet your young adults are facing new and different things over which you don't have as much control or influence. Um, I think as moms, we just really can feel as if everything we thought we knew was um, is very shaky and very insecure. I guess that's one of the, the biggest words that keeps on coming up is that insecurity and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. I Sometimes I equate it as being kind of like in at a junior high dance. It's kind of like you, you're there, you know what you should do, but you really have no idea. You really feel as though you're in a space where where you don't know how to navigate it. And you're just mm-hmm. kind of looking around, um, wondering, you know, how's this going to come out? Right. I, the word disoriented comes to my mind. Yes. It's very, it is. It's so. very disorienting. Yeah. So let's talk a a little bit about um, the challenges of parenting young adult children or adult children while still raising teens and younger kids. What are some of the challenges that parents face when they're in that messy middle where they Mm -hmm. almost have their feet in two different kinds of worlds? Yeah, I think one of the challenges is that you you can't parent your young adults like you did when they were teens just a few years earlier. And so I I think there's a cognizance that parents have to have when you're when you're really setting boundaries for those teens or preteens and yet you cannot transfer those same expectations or those same limitations on your young adults because they are adults now, you do not have the same rights to or the same level of control and influence as you did 
I call it once they cross that graduation stage or that that um, equivalent to that milestone. Um, and I think parents tend to not give their kids the freedom to mess up. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes even just realizing parenting older teens, that 17 or 18 year old in high school is a lot different than parenting a 14 or 15 year old. And sometimes we just keep our hands on and control so much that all of a sudden our kids get to young adulthood and we've never really learned how to slowly release those reins at age appropriate levels. And it causes, um, causes a lot of conflict for parents and kids. And sometimes even kids who just shut their parents out because they really um, are wanting, you know, this independence that isn't given to them by their parents as young adults. But then also there's a lot of anxiety. And I think that's something we're seeing quite a bit of in the field of mental health is a lot of anxiety that teens bring into young adulthood because they haven't really learned um, to be able to make their own decisions and fail a little bit or struggle within those realms. I use the term, um, don't steal the struggle. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something that parents really need to learn how to allow their young adults to do, to struggle and to not just swoop in and try to give advice or give the, be the rescue for them. And so um, there, there's a lot of different Steps. The steps don't seem very far apart, and yet every age level from 15 to 16 to 17 to 18 on up through about mid-20s when your brain is finally fully developed, parents really have to recognize where their kids are and learn how to give them that autonomy and independence that God really has created them to develop. Yeah. So what so let's what what I hear you saying is that. If you have teens and you have young adults, you really have to have two distinct parenting styles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yes. You cannot be doing the same thing with them and you have to have two very distinct ones. And that's part of what makes it hard. That's what right. part of what makes it challenging. Yeah. Is to, it, because you're going to operate one way with your kids that are still at home. You're going to mm-hmm. operate another way with your kids that are out of the home, or at least, uh, you know, uh, they've graduated from high school, they're mm-hmm. either working, they're going to a trade school, they're, um, they're going to college. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you say to the to the person that's listening in the, and it says, you know, I, I can't let go of things because, you know, I mean, I'm still paying for my kids college. Mm-hmm. So um, they're still responsible to me. What are you talking about in when it comes to letting go in those seasons of life when there is still a responsibility to the parents because the parents are still investing in that child? Sure. So I'm going to maybe speak a little bit bluntly, but um, I think it's something we as parents need to hear is, um, so let's take that that scenario that you just kind of laid out there of you're still paying for college. Um that's a gift. That's something you're choosing to do. And so it, if you're tying your child's behavior to you funding their college, that's kind of like you're trying to control and manipulate them with your money. Um, now, that's a little mm. bit harsh, but Ooh, that's hard to hear for some um, of us. <laughs> but so this is kind of what it looks like is 
um, there needs to be some discussion about that. So if, you know, if your child's not showing up for class, so let's just use that scenario, you're paying for an education is what you're doing. You're not funding their life. And if you are funding their life and they don't have any investment in it, if they're, if they're being irresponsible, um, by, by living off, off of everything that you're funding, then then that's part of the problem. Maybe part of the problem is that they need to be invested in part of their education. Um, maybe um, they you need to have a discussion to say, this is what we're funding for college. Um, this is what you're responsible for. Um, but, you know, if they don't have any teeth in the game, Mm-hmm. And they're being irresponsible, again, by not showing up for class, um, they're ready to drop out. That's part of this whole life experience of they've, this is a job that they're doing. Their job is going to college. And um, so if you can kind of look at it this way, their paycheck for the job of going to college and showing up is that you're paying for the education. But that also doesn't mean that you have the right to really control what they do during their personal time. Because um, that's part of their learning. That's part of their life, growing to be an adult. And, um, and I, I think that that is where we as parents really have to look at ourselves and what our motives are. Yeah. If, if we really want to create um, the life for our child that we want them to have, and yet they're not responsive to that, or they're um, pushing back against that, then there's something in that equation that's not working. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you mentioned earlier, um, the concept of not stealing the struggle. And that is probably the thing I quote you the most on Brenda. I love, I love that phrase because it is a sticky statement. It stays with us. Uh, I even occasionally, you know, uh, have to ask myself, uh, am I stealing the struggle from my grandkids now? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the, you know, there's times that I want to swoop in and I realize, no, they actually need to kind of work through this because they're going to, it's going to make them stronger. But mm-hmm. let's talk about what that looks like. Um, what does it look like practically for us to not steal the struggle from our kids? Sure. So let's take that young adult scenario. Um, let's say that they have um, maybe made a choice that isn't helpful for them, right? That they're falling flat on their face. And and I think part of it is you can support your child emotionally and even, you know, physically without swooping in. Um, there's a sense of having compassion and saying, gosh, I know that that really stings. Um, I'm sorry that that's happening. Um, but then don't try to run in and fix it for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and so part of this element of walking with our kids is that as adults, we're building a relationship where we walk beside them as we would, Mm -hmm. as we would someone who really cares for someone else in asking what, what part of that equation do they want us to be a part of? Um, so for example, one of our kids had a scenario in the last couple of years that, that, um, was a situation like that. And man, it was, it was all like, all I could do to not just rush in and, um, fix it. But understanding that my child had to feel the sting of that situation so that they could grow from it. And I think the, the other part there is not 
judging and not presenting shame. So um, in Fledge, I talk about um, relationship parenting and not performance parenting. Yes, I wanted to go there. So let's talk about that. (laughs) Yeah, and that kind of ties into the harshness of me saying the whole thing about kind of manipulation and control when it comes to, well, I'm funding these things, therefore you need to act this way. Well, that's really investing in your child's performance and not a relationship with them. Mm. Okay. And so, yeah. you know, even with your teenager, the, the thing about when you're raising teens is that at the end of the day, the responsibility still falls under our umbrella. You know, that doesn't mean that we're responsible for our children's behaviors, but what it does mean is that if our child has made a really impulsive choice or they're really doing something harmful for themselves, then mm-hmm. we have a responsibility because we're still guiding them during that time. But when during our the teen are, years, yes. Right. But when our kids are young adults, you know, if if they're making lifestyle choices that are detrimental to them or harmful for them or not the best for them, um, at the end of the day, the buck stops with them. And that's the difference. And that's what we struggle. We struggle making that transition though, because we still feel like they represent us Mm -hmm. in those adult years. And don't you think that's one of the biggest reasons why people, uh, why moms, dads do still the struggle? Oh, definitely so. I mean, we, we all, we, well, that in just general love, right? We all love our kids. Mm-hmm. So there's, yes. there's that very real um, compilation of both of those of one, we love our kids so much. We don't want to see them hurt and struggle. And yet mm-hmm. that is antithetical to our relationship with God, you know, mm-hmm. Is right. God, who's our father, loves us so much, but he allows us to struggle so that we come to him. Not that he then swoops in and fixes it, but he gives us the tools to be able yes. to live in it and to be able to grow and change. And those are the those really are the goals of parenting as we're walking alongside our kids into adulthood is mm-hmm. um, we also want to come beside them and give them the tools which sometimes is encouragement, sometimes is hard truth, sometimes is tough love, um, so that they can then grow and change and be healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, But the other part you mentioned about the embarrassment, I think that's embarrassment, disappointment. Those are um, mm-hmm. really big ticket items for parents. Mm-hmm. And yet when we convey to our children the sh- the, um, the disappointment and the, the judgment, they, they take on shame. Yes. And what is shame? What is shame, Brenda? Let's really understand, um, because we don't want to shame our children. What happens when shame happens? Sure. So what happens when shame happens is it makes whatever the, um, the unpleasant, situation, it makes it personal to the child. The child internalizes that. So let's say, you know, Johnny um, spills a bunch of milk. This is what always happened in our dining room table, right? When I was growing up, they, they spill them, you spill the milk um, and it falls on the, on the carpet and it's going to be a mess to clean up. So um, discipline or response to that without shame is 
like, let's be careful more next time. What could you do different? Um, but accidents are going to happen and we can clean that up. Um, mm-hmm. you, you address the event, the incident without it becoming personal to the person that happened to you. Shame in that incident would be how stupid of you. How, why didn't you look at what you were doing? Um, you always are so clumsy. So the spilling of the milk, which could be an accident for anyone, it is a mess to clean up. But let's think about how we could do that different as a teaching tool. Um, is something very external. Whereas the second one, it makes whatever that negative reaction was. And so um, about the child themselves or about the yes. adults. We internalize it instead of, so the, the action was what was unhealthy or, or bad versus the person being the one who's bad. Yes. Yes. That makes total sense. And that's really, I mean, that's just the slightest bit of a tweak in the way that we talk to our kids, but such an important one. And, and honestly, the way that we talk to our spouses, the way that we talk to anyone. Right. And I think that's where the relationship versus performance as parents, whether they're small kids, teenagers or adult kids, we can address the same issue. Right. So none of us want our kids engaging in unhealthy, destructive behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, But if they do, when you just focus on the behavior, um, what's unhealthy about it, what is what is helpful, what's hurtful, um, maybe what they could do different without all of this judgment on top of it or um, personalizing it to the child, as in, you know, kids watch our responses. So when they watch us and they see the shame, especially that we carry or embarrassment. So disappointment is a real emotion, right? When kids do something wrong, they disappoint us. But when there's that embarrassment or that, that shame of how, it makes us feel and it really puts something on our children that makes them feel as though they are worthless. Yes. Yes. And that doesn't just affect them in the moment that affects mm-hmm. them. If, if it happens over and over again, I'm not talking about the one-off, you know, because there are always those one-offs where we don't handle it well and we don't need to like beat ourselves up for that because we all have those. But when that happens over and over again, that child can carry that shame for into their marriage, into their work. Um, and some, in fact, some of our listeners struggle with shame themselves from their own childhood. Oh, definitely. And I think that's what we see as the cycle of um, parenthood. And when our kids become, when our, this is something I think is real important just for us to identify when our kids become adults or young adults or even teens, but especially young adults, they're already processing, processing their own childhood. And they may actually have some anger some hurt, some disappointment about how we have treated them as kids or have even harmed them because we were doing the best that we knew at the time. And sometimes we have failed. Yes. And so part of help, part of um, walking with our kids into young adulthood is giving them the space to own their own story, to not force them to be at a place 
and their narrative that we've already come to, right? Because we've got 20 to 30, maybe even 40 years on them. Mm -hmm. One thing I encounter a lot in discussions with parents is that their kids, when they get to college, they, or are young adults, they really start processing kind of their place in the family or their experience within the family. And um, parents can be real defensive and we can really take it personally mm-hmm. when they pull away or even if they're angry towards us or have an attitude or even come back and say, mom, you did this. And we might be like, no, I didn't do that. Well, even if I did, this was my intention. We have to give our young adults and our adult children the space to make sense of their own story and not minimize their feelings and not justify if they're not at a place to really come and hear our side. Yeah. And I think that happens in a lot of families and um, it takes a lot of humility as a parent to do that. And I've had to do it myself because um, I didn't do everything with my older kids that I knew how to do better with my younger kids. And um, so it's something I've had to walk out myself. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, bears the question when we do recognize that we didn't do something well, a sincere ownership and apology goes a long way for that, that to be healed and, and to move forward in a healthier relationship with our kids. 100%. I agree. And I, I think, um, Jill and I, you and I both know that whether your kids are really, whether they're eight or 18 or 28 or 38, kids really want an honest, open, authentic relationship with their parents. Yeah. And sometimes, um, when we are able to kind of humble ourselves kind of get off that embarrassment train or, well, well, I did this and you, you need to accept what I've done for you. Don't, don't you see what all I've done for you? Um, you know, I work with kids currently now I work with kids in an elementary school and, um, kids, we all internalize things as children, even as teens based on where we are in the moment. Mm -hmm. And so part of helping our children heal is just to validate their emotions and to validate their feelings, um, we may not agree with it. Mm-hmm. We may we may think, where in the world did that come from? Like that, I don't deserve that. Well, instead of responding defensively, I don't deserve that. Be curious about what they're talking about, and don't minimize what they're saying. You know, I hear that you are really hurt by what happened when you were in eighth grade, or whatever, or even as adults. I I hear that you think I am really kind of hovering over you and having control over your wedding. Um, I'm sorry about that. What would you like my involvement to look like? Mm-hmm. And they tell you, Mom, I really just I really just want you to show up. I really don't want you to be involved in the planning. And you may be saying, wait a minute, this is my right. I'm the mom. I need to be involved in planning this wedding. No, you don't. That's not your right. That's not my right. And to, um, to invest in that long-term relationship. Mm -hmm. Yes. To realize sometimes I think that we uh, think that there are hills worth dying on and we forget to look beyond the moment as to what this could do to the relationship for the long haul. I think that's very true. 
And I think that as parents, as moms, especially, we have ideas of what we think our role is in, in our children's stages. And, Mm -hmm. as you know, even going back to when there's teenagers, and this is why parenting at all the different stages is so hard. When, when all of your kids are out of the house in your emptiness, it's a little bit easier because they're all adults and you kind of all see them in the new, in the new normal. Mm-hmm. But when you're, you know, when you're still packing lunches and bringing trees to the sixth grade classroom and you're still going to junior high sports and going to high school concert, and yet you've got, you may even be a grandma and you've got a kid in college, it is hard to switch between all those hats. <laughs> yes, and, it is. You know, and you mentioned even that being a grandparent there, um, I'm a, I'm a new grandparent. And so I bring to my own idea of the rights that I have. And my husband, even um, with our, um, our baby, our, our young uh, baby, he even said to me, uh, Brenda, don't steal the struggle. Um, to, you know, to me as a grandma, but, um, going back to that, that whole idea of, uh, what we bring with us as rights and expectations, we have to surrender those and surrender those to the Lord, because at the end of the day, a relationship with our child is much more important than anything we think we should have. Yes. You know, I, I have a blog post that I wrote that's called, um, I think it's called, does grandmother's prerogative exist? Mm -hmm. And, um, that, and that's really what I talk about in there is no, it actually doesn't. Um, it's mom and dad's prerogative Mm -hmm. and it's our job to support that. And, um, but man, that's hard, isn't it? It is. <laughs> it is hard. Well, you know, I, I want to take just a few minutes. There are some in your book, in your book, Fledge, um, you explore some words that I think people maybe have heard. Maybe they don't think about it as it relates to launching our kids, but we've already kind of dug into this mental health um, arena as it relates to uh, performance parenting versus relationship parenting, you know, letting go. The words I'm talking about that you do talk about in Fledge is um, enabling, mm-hmm. enmeshment, and codependency. And, you know, we'll, I, we can only do a flyover on those, mm-hmm. but I think a flyover will at least introduce us to what those are why are they important to understand and and why do we want to to be careful that that's not happening um as we are launching our kids um can can we do that sure i'll try to do each one of those um real quickly and mesh and i'm going to give them kind of in context of what it looks like as kids really are needing to be independent and autonomous so that's the goal the goal for god the goal God has given us as families for our children is for them to be independent and autonomous. Autonomous means separate, a separate entity, right? Independent mm-hmm. is that they're doing things on their own. Developmentally, yep. God created us as developmental beings to be independent and autonomous from the parents around age 18. Okay. So what that means is that, so I'm going to take enmeshment first. Enmeshment is this, um, is a intertwining of the relationship between parent and child that does not allow that child to be an, to be a separate autonomous 
thinking for themselves, young adult or adult person or teenagers. Yes. yes. Okay. So enmeshment mm-hmm. means that when a parent is overly enmeshed, it means that they have their hands and tentacles in just about everything that child is doing. And they're trying to influence, man- manipulate, coerce, or control things in that child's life that are not developmentally appropriate because God's intention is for that child to be a separate being of their own that is not controlled or manipulated by Mm -hmm. a parent. Okay. So, so that's enmeshment. Okay. Gotcha. What that can look like is that, um, mom has such a hard time letting go of her young adult child as they're going off to college that she, she herself doesn't even know how to be a separate person outside of her children. So Mm. that's kind of a flip side, but it's, it's um, really not being able to let your child have thoughts of their own, um, have decisions of their own without that parent having their tentacles in all areas of their life. Gotcha. Okay. Um, That's helpful. Okay. Enabling is enabling is when you somehow support behavior and that could either be healthy or unhealthy. And the majority of the time it's unhealthy behavior. So um, I'm going to use that college example of if you're funding your child's college tuition, um, you're enabling them to receive a college education without the stress of having to pay for it all on their own. If that's what you're doing, then you're supporting a healthy behavior. If Uh your sole reason for doing it is to be able to um, have a college education, you know, no strings attached, right? Uh, Uh So enabling in a negative way is what most likely happens, which is when we come in and we actually try to help or support our child change their behavior because they're not able to on their own or they haven't done it on their own. And this kind of can flow into codependency. Okay. In negative behaviors, codependency is when um, one person is dependent, codependent upon that other person in order for them to have healthy behaviors. But it kind of goes both ways. Codependent means that the enabler is also so enmeshed in kind of the problem and in that child's life that they can't separate themselves from their child or their child's problems. And they all become um, kind of interrelated that they don't know how to live apart from each other or apart from the problem at hand. And in most cases, you see that in um, addiction drug and alcohol addiction primarily, you will see a lot of enabling and codependency and enmeshment. Well, I know for us, you know, one of the things when I was trying to figure out whether we, we have a son that has a lot of mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And if I was, we were trying to figure out if we were enabling or not, we had to ask ourselves, is our help helping? Mm -hmm. And when we were, when we came face to face with the answer, our help isn't helping, Mm -hmm. then we're actually enabling. So that was really helpful for me um, because, you know, he'd been living in our home for a little bit of time so that he could get on his feet. But the truth is he wasn't getting on his feet any better than if he wasn't living in our home. Right. So then our help really wasn't helping. 
Right. I, I like to use, I think the, the picture of fledge of a bird. So fledge means to develop strong wing feathers that are ready for flight. And that's such a good visual image because if you, if you think of that, if you think of that little bird who Mm -hmm. physically needs to develop muscles in their physiologic, you know, their physical body in Mm -hmm. order to survive, in order to Mm -hmm. fly, in order to know how to lift themselves up off the ground so that they aren't killed by prey or become prey so that they can get their food. So, so the same is true of our children. And when we enable in ways that are developmentally not appropriate, because God has created our children at different stages to appropriately be able to have the strength and the knowledge and the dexterity to do certain things, then we really need to let our children to be able to do those to succeed or fail because it's in failing that those muscles are developed. If anyone has been through physical therapy, you know that you have to push through the pain of resistance in order for those muscles to actually heal and grow and, and, um, become re, uh, kind of recalculated, right? Yeah. it's the same way with our kids. So we want to come up with a cushion and say, oh, here, have a soft landing and then let me keep you here. And we tend to cuddle our kids when if we were to do that with muscles that have been um, torn or damaged that need to be rehabilitated, the doctor is going to say, no, take that pillow away. Your muscles need resistance and they need, Mm. they actually need to work so that they can become stronger. Yes. Yes. But that is so hard for us as parents to let our kids struggle. It, it yeah. just really is. And, and so that is the dilemma, I think, for sure. But let me ask another question about codependency. Uh, is I, I think I once heard that codependency also is like your happiness is dependent on someone else's happiness. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, it's it's kind of like and not just happiness, but your purpose. So a lot of a lot of times people are um, a codependent enabler because it gives them purpose. It gives them that rescue. So as long as I'm rescuing that person and this problem is part of our life, then it gives me then the problem itself, like addiction or something, actually is the focus is almost an idol. It's an, and you talk a lot about idols, Jill in empty mm-hmm. nestful life. Um, so that brings it back to happiness. If my, if my identity and my, the way that I feel good about myself is wrapped up in my child's problem mm-hmm. and, and me constantly trying to help my child then it feels very threatening if you take the problem away and you're not responsible for fixing that problem anymore. Well, then there's kind of an identity crisis. If you have really had your own identity enmeshed in your child or your child's problems. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I can see that. We've covered a lot of ground. So one, one more question before we bring this to a close is, Where's faith in all of this? Mm-hmm. Um, faith is believing what you cannot see, right? Um, Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is being sure of what you hope for 
and certain of which you cannot see. And I think as parents, as we fledge our children and as we, we let our nest empty, and even as we let go of our rights, as we focus more on a relationship and not on the performance mm-hmm. of our kids, it really means that we have to look at the big picture. Mm-hmm. We have to look at God in the big picture. Mm-hmm. We have to look to him because he really is the one who's con- in control of our children's lives. Yeah. And um, faith is really being having that assurance of, Lord, this is what I hope for my child. Mm-hmm. And praying, of course, pray not say that's what I'm, you're saying is that I say a lot. <laughs> pray not say being sure of what we hope for and being certain of what we cannot see and that certainty comes i often equate it to when abraham laid down isaac on the altar and mm. um this is what i've had to do several times as a parent when you don't know the outcome of your child's life or decision or circumstance that they're in but I physically have, um, I'm a very body kinesthetic person. So engaging in what I'm doing is just kind of how I walk out some of my stuff, but just being on my knees and, and kind of literally just laying, um, the image of that child on the altar as Abraham did Isaac saying, I don't know how God's going to do it, but I'm going to trust that he's going to provide. Yeah. Yes. And that is really the heart of allowing our children to become independent is yeah. being able to do that. Yeah. Wow. Good stuff. So Brenda, you and I are partnering on a couple of events for parents who are launching kids or have launched kids. Um we, you and I partnered for the first time two years ago at mm-hmm. the Empty Nestful Life Retreat. It was our first time to do it. And we're doing another one uh, that is coming up in October, October 29th through the 31st, 2021. I'm super excited. What about you? I am super excited too, um, because not only do we get administered to women, but we're also women in this age group too. So um, mm-hmm. it's just a blessing to be with women who are experiencing these hard mom things that a lot of times our husbands don't understand and our other friends around us may not understand. Yes. Yes. And I think that's the beauty of this retreat. Um, you know, and it's a relatively small event. Um I think, you know, I don't know how many we're going to have. We can, we have the space for between 100 to 150 women because we don't know if women are going to do singles or double rooms or that mm-hmm. kind of a thing. But and about half of those are filled right now. So registration is open. And um, but what I love is just being with other women who understand what your life is like and being in a place that we can talk about the real stuff just like you and I have talked about today, uh, but we can go even deeper. And um, and also, I think for empty nest moms or soon to be empty nest moms, there's just something very powerful in taking time for yourself mm-hmm. and getting reconnected to who you were before kids, getting mm-hmm. reconnected to who you are now, um, being able to hear the Lord again. Uh, slowing down, being quiet, 
just exploring those kind of things. I think that that is the value. And that's, that's really one of my biggest reasons for providing the empty nestful life retreat. And you do such an incredible job within the retreat doing that, Jill, because you really do build in time for women mm-hmm. to have that time of quiet if they want. You have guided activities. Um, you um, feature your workbook that complements Empty Nestful Life. And you really have designed the, the retreat with a lot of thought. Um, so I just mm-hmm. want to encourage women to come that there are pieces of it that will meet you exactly where you are. Yes, yes, I absolutely believe that. And we saw that firsthand, Mm -hmm. didn't we, Um, We two years ago? Yeah. And then um, we've got another event, and that's not till the fall of 2022 um, that uh, we're going to do, and that's an empty nest marriage retreat. And this is, uh, we've not done this. This is brand new, but, um, you know, Mark and I do our No More Perfect Marriages events, and the first part of it will be that No More Perfect Marriages event, but then we're offering a third day that will explore the transition into the empty nest. So we'll talk about parenting adult kids and what that looks like. And we'll talk about how moms and dads navigate this differently and how they experience different losses, different emotions in the midst of, of this. We'll talk about, um, just uh, what does it look like when you get to the empty nest and you see that there are gaps in your marriage? Mm-hmm. Uh, because that often happens. Kids have been a buffer. Uh, so we're still working out all the details on that, uh, but we're super excited about it. And I know you and I, I mean, we really, we brainstormed that starting two years ago. So to to see that it's, you know, in the future here is exciting for me. It is. And I think it's such an, um, such an important topic because I think as counselors, um, those of us in the field of counseling see a lot of rifts in marriage that can be healed. Yes. During, during this phase of life of when the kids start leaving. So it, and, and I know Jill, you and Mark have, um, walked through a lot of those things and you work with couples in a lot of those different areas. But, um, I'll just never forget when I was in college and a friend of mine, her parents split up right after she got married and it broke my heart. I just remember that was so significant to me because, Oh, it was almost like their life raising their kids was done. And then um, their marriage was done too. So I'm, I'm so excited to do this retreat and to help equip um, couples to make it through because there is another side and God has, God is already there and God cares yes. for families. Yes, absolutely. So uh, for you mamas out there, uh, the Empty Nest Mom Retreat is October 29th through the 31st. And you can find out information about that at EmptyNestBook.com. That's October 29th through the 31st, 2021, EmptyNestBook.com. And then you just click on Retreat. Um, Registration is open until it fills. 
Uh, if you're listening to this podcast episode and we're past that date, uh, go ahead and go to that same website, put yourself on a wait list for a future retreat, because I hope to offer these, uh, again. And then in the fall of, uh, oh, and I guess I should say the empty nest mom retreat is in Cedar Lake, Indiana. So it's at Cedar Lake Retreat Center in Indianapolis, or Indianapolis, no, Cedar Lake, Indiana, uh, which is near the Illinois border. So it's the in, near the Indiana-Illinois border. And um, I mean, the closest, we do have women already registered that are flying in. Uh, Chicago airport is probably the closest airport to fly into and uh, then to be able to get there. I think it's about an hour from the Chicago airport. Um, and then uh, in the fall of 2022, the Empty Nest Marriage Retreat, that is actually to take place in Holland, Michigan. And we currently have the dates of um, September 30th through October 2nd, 2022. And you can get on a wait list for that as well at seminar.jillsavage.org. And we will put all of those links in the show notes uh, to make it easy for you. But um, we are super excited about both. And Brenda um, will be joining me at both of those events. So Brenda, thank you for sharing your wisdom today. Thank you for having me. And thank you for um, being committed to moms in this stage of life. Yeah. And so people can pick up your fledge book wherever books are sold, right? Mm -hmm. And where can they find you online? So they can find me on Instagram at Brenda Yoder Speaks, um, at, on Facebook at Brenda Yoder Speaker, and my website is brendayoder.com. And I'm also the co-host of the Midlife Moms podcast. And we also have a um, Facebook group for Midlife Moms also on, um, on Facebook. And yes. um, they, again, complements the Empty Nest, a full life group that Jill is in. But um, it's not, it's, for moms just in midlife. So we've got some moms who are young moms. Uh, I mean, moms of young kids. So moms in their forties who are moms of young kids. Yeah. Cause you guys talk about the, you know, the physical aspects of midlife and that kind right. of stuff as well. Yeah. We kind of cover everything related to midlife, midlife and not just specifically parenting, but, um, mm-hmm. Everything from aging parents, and uh, we just did an episode for moms of younger kids um, mm-hmm. who might have toddlers in their early 40s to the hormonal changes to um, everything that hits us in that season when it also coincides with, for the majority of us, with children leaving home. Yes, yes. Yeah, I love that. Well, Brenda, would you be willing to close today in prayer and to pray for uh, those that have been listening today and that are navigating this fledging season of life? Yes, I'd be glad to. Father, we thank you so much for the ability to be mothers. We thank you for every woman listening who is experiencing some type of loss in her parenting life with her kids as they are growing. We want to pray specifically for those moms that are in the messy middle whose children need to develop strong wing feathers so they are ready for flight when it's time to go. I ask that you would show her through your Holy Spirit of how to step back and how to let her kids struggle some so that they can learn to depend on you and so that they can develop their, um, their independence and their autonomy 
They can develop um, a, a sense of grit in yes. their life that will equip them for the hard things of adulthood. I ask that you would equip moms who are struggling with being too involved in her children's lives and having a hard time letting go, giving up control. And if there's any mom who um, is intrigued or wondering if she is enabling or um, codependent or enmeshed in a way that is unhealthy with her child or her children, Lord, I just ask that you would begin to show her what that looks like and that you would place people around her or she would be connected with professional services that would just help her to walk through that in a way that is healthy, that Mm -hmm. is helpful to her children and not harmful. Yes. So we thank you, Father, that you are with us and that you don't allow us to just go through this season on our own, but that you are there guiding us and have the answers for each and every specific situation. So we ask that you would be near to each woman and that you would draw her to you in a way that um, glorifies your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and follow so that you don't miss any future conversations. We also want you to know that we have three free eBooks for you. You can find them at jillsavage.org slash free. You can also find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over at jillsavage.org slash podcast. See you next week for another not perfect, but very important conversation about the real stuff of life.